thank you for coming on, Hendrik. And you know, we've had a we've had a couple thank of very much. Yeah. a couple of issues getting you on, but we you know we finally got you here. And yeah, it's been I'm very excited for this podcast. It's been a while in the running. And yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, maybe just to start off, would you like to talk to your your background as a designer, just talking about your previous work experience and you know what's brought you to where you are today? Yeah, well, it it hasn't always been obvious for me that I should be uh, a car designer. Um, well, the most guys in this industry then that they have been doing nothing but sketching cars since they've been been two years old. Um, in my case, I, when I was little kid then um i was obsessed with the uh, working um uh, heavy um like heavy equipment machineries uh, diggers etc mm. uh, and i remember i had to get up like very early to see the garbage truck come uh, pick up the the garbage and then that that obsession for those things gradually as i grew up um developed into being interested in in sci-fi spaceships robots um growing up like very close to to uh, lego as well um in denmark then that was a huge part of my um creativity came from from just messing around with lego building what was supposed to be built from the package and then straight after just disassembling and then do my own things um with my friends because it was so common and there were lego was just all over the place Mm. um and then I think when I was 14 or 15, then there was new, this new uh, guy coming into my class um, in school who was so much into cars and we mm. very quickly became good friends. And then I started to sketch cars more instead of all of the robots and other weird kind of things. And then it gradually developed into being a deeper interest into that. Then I started uh, industrial design in Denmark and went to Coventry University on my fourth semester um, as um, an Erasmus exchange student and then ended up staying in Mm. (laughs) uh, on that course and I've been in the UK since that um, Mm. and now working at a consultancy called Weissel also in Coventry where we do a lot of um, prototyping uh, working demonstrator to like Geneva grade uh, show cars for mm. different OEMs and startups. That's awesome. Um, as well as uh, a lot of uh, design work there. Mm. Well, you're in the perfect place, Coventry. What's that? The, the home yeah. Town, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that that's a lot of the um the autom- of the British automotive industry that has come out of Coventry. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. What do, what do you um yeah. find most interesting about your current position? Um, I think the most uh, um, interesting part of my current position is is that I work at a place where they're so eager to push technologies, mm. etc. So in between projects where it's a bit more quiet, then I get the opportunity to, to explore how I can utilize new technologies mm. so that we can do the next projects better, faster, um, Etc. Where we then lately have been exploring how we can utilize uh, artificial intelligence to mm. either design better, faster, or maybe completely uh, different mm. to effectively. You know, we were talking about that the other day. How you integrated? Yeah. Workflow. Would you like to talk to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So lately, I have been using Midjourney a lot to try to 
create um, environments for my um, uh, visualization processes mm. and also to do like very quickly low fidelity uh, visualization so i would just get a ton of environments out from mid journey mm. with just trying to describe the scenario that i would like that and the user scenario that i think the vehicle or whatever you're designing would would fit into mm. and then in in a very short time frame then i can have a a good handful of different um uh images that i then can take into for example gravity sketch mm. where i can then assess the the car the interior in in a full scale environment and then have maybe this uh factory setting or something like that around it and then i can just stretch that it's it's not super realistic but mm. but it's it's convincing so that you can quickly get a feeling okay that well this is where i would kind of be operating and mm. which can be very powerful in in terms of um um get the the right feeling out of, out of the product because by the end of the day then it's consumer products that there's a user in the end um and if we can figure out how the usage of the things are very early on then then we're in a better place to design something that that actually matters yeah and tell the story hmm. yeah i used gravity sketch for my final project at uni hmm. and for for designing vehicles it's just amazing like being able to you know yeah, observe the vehicle in a 3d space like in like almost the same scale well, in the same scale as you would in real life it's just amazing yeah yeah and and in particular when it comes to to the automotive interior part of it because hmm. then Think about you. You're sitting in the steer, in the driver's seat. Then, then you. Oh, can I can I reach the steering wheel? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Can I look out? Can I touch the the gear knob? Can I see what's on the screen? Or where should I put the screen so that it it's not being obscured by the steering wheel? And mm. I can I still see out from the uh, a pillars? Is the bonnet too high? Mm. All of those like more technical parts of it is is very easy to assess in Gravity Sketch. And then if you start very early in the process with getting those things done then you you're you're a really good place to to design something that that's all not just aesthetically mm. pleasing but also functionally ace for, for example then um um i did a study um where we took a 96 percentile male and a 70 75 percentile female and then determined their their vision from the driver's seat mm. um sketched out some uh, some icons mm. from um uh, gravity sketch and then i took the the negative volume of those uh, icons because that determined where can i have furniture space inside of of the uh the interior without uh, interfering with the uh, with the vision mm. yeah i definitely think it's shocking how little you could could see in some some vehicles yeah yeah i used it in the same way like i, I designed a motorbike and i could like li lean over the motorbike and test you know, oh yeah far distances and you know like accessing the taco and stuff like that and like yeah like like usually i mean i still used anthropometric data to some degree but it kind of just enhances the whole experience like even the mannequins in gravity sketch you can just set them up on the motorbike and kind of use it as a way to yeah, exactly like a basic um basic human you know dimensions and yeah it's really crazy for that i think it might bring an end to the maybe not bring an end but it would definitely make the classic you know design for humans books less less appropriate to designers in the future being able to test yeah. things like that 
Hmm. Yeah, and in particular, designing motorcycles in in Gravity sketches is is quite powerful as well, especially hmm. because you have this highly modular mannequin in there, hmm. and while designing motorcycles, then then the driver is as much a part of the silhouette of of the hmm. of the product as well. It's mm. not only when it's just standing on its own, but also when what does it look like with a with a driver as part of the mm. the shape of it, and 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 when you easily can put a mannequin on and don't need to be able to sketch a well proportioned human, then mm. there's so many steps that you're almost jumping over. Yeah, um, and especially with the thinking about this, you have when you just sketch on 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 regular paper then you have two dimensions and then when you move into gravity sketch then it's the same but you have a third dimension as mm. well where you can put your line work mm. so quickly to iterate yeah i think it's interesting because these days with these technologies that are coming out like vr you know ai things like that i think that a lot of people kind of get caught up in like the politics around it and kind of forget yeah it's like the basic implementation like like vr for example in those use cases it's so useful for design but if you kind of get tied up in the fact that it's going to like replace CAD, then you can get lost. The same with like AI. Like if you think AI is going to take your job, maybe you won't use it. But if you think of it like how you like how can you implement it? Like you implement it in a way where you incorporate it into your visualization. And like that's a pretty powerful way to use it. Like you found a way to get into your workflow. So like thinking about AI is like maybe not, you know, taking like not using not using it in a capacity that's going to really revolutionize your job, but just like how can you use it to improve your workflow? It's a good way to look at it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Because most of those technologies has come to stay. Um, it, it was the same when when three D modeling started to be more mm. popular, and then and and when Photoshop came out as well, then most people were, were always like, "Oh, yeah, but you still need to be able to do this and that." But but by the end of the day, it's it's what tools can get you to the best result for the the, uh, the user mm. in the end. And also that I, I see a lot of people misunderstanding um, text to image uh, prompting and think that if they just prompt a sporty SUV designed by Sid Mead with a, a Bauhaus uh, influence, then, oh, now that's a new design. But that, that's just the image. It doesn't have any story to it. It needs yeah. to have a narrative in order to be interesting but if you then start to maybe describe more what kind of feelings you want to um wake in 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 the user this and describe the style of product you want and then combining them with with some of your own sketch work and then blend those things or um then then you can get something rather unique and you're then using mid-journey as an example as um more like a an external design consultant, mm. uh, your assistant, where you then are in, in in quite some control over it. Also, for example, I, I was having a look through uh, Behance the other day, mm. and there are so many of the projects that were sharing the same ten uh, images of of Pinterest. Mm. So they all had the same design influence. So mm. of course they all looked kind of the same. So mm. how I also like to use Midjourney is to have my own personal pinterest mm. where I then type in the shapes or aesthetics that i'm going for and then i make a mood board from those imagery mm. 
Um, yeah, we've mentioned this on the that... podcast before, this kind of modern state where, I mean, I suppose the past industrial design, you'd kind of look to books, you'd look to like um historical figures, all these different things for inspiration. Whereas these days, a simple Google search is like more than people do. Um, or like, yeah, or look yeah. at Pinterest. And I mean, like, I suppose AI is the next step of that. Like, it's basically just regurgitating information that it it collates off Pinterest or Google. Um, and yeah, I mean, it could be a bit of a trap. It could make people even more, I mean, create even more of the same designs. So yeah, like, I suppose it's important yeah. to, to not think of it as like the end all, the only the only place you look for inspiration. You've still got to look. Like, I, I really like watching yeah. um historical videos about like products and things like that. Because a lot of the information yeah. you get on there, like, haven't really been done in a long time. And, like, I mean, that, that's all real design Absolutely. is. It's, like, bringing up the same things in different ways throughout generations. Um, yeah, but, 100%. But, like, if you can look more to the past, um, I feel like you can get a lot more unique inspiration opposed to just, like, looking at what you're going to find on a Google search. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you are absolutely right there. Um, especially because there's so much extremely cool engineering as well that somehow mm. have got lost in translation um mm. where some of those really cool engineered products that that you don't really see anymore mm. have so much to offer still that maybe maybe it's the yeah well it, it would be looking old but but there's always like a little bit of it oh how that hinges is, is looks cool maybe if i combine it with mm. with this a contemporary way of surfacing just just as you say of as taking all sorts of different bits and then combining them in a new way yeah um, yeah I've, I've found that, like, yeah, it, you look you look yeah, to the past, this small little yeah. mechanical thing like for example um egyptian water clocks i found this the other day they used to use bowls um with a little hole in that lost the water at a certain rate to, to measure time back in the day and i was like oh that's such a cool idea like basically having a clock yeah that any electricity or anything like how could you use that in a modern way like that just that thinking like taking the past into the future like i think that's yeah it's a really beneficial way to look at it yeah definitely and and i could also imagine some rather fascinating sculptural ways of of solving those things with, with mm. the older um technologies there there's so many lost treasures i believe mm. in in terms of old technologies also, also for example in the um um 50s 60s with um how the um the windscreens on cars were like wrapped almost like uh cockpits on on fighter jets mm. etc you don't see that much on cars anymore um and it's almost a, a lost craft uh nowadays but it, it just looks so cool mm. yeah yeah there's some amazing things about the past like the early um well, I suppose it's like sort of Sid Mead influence, but um, the early yeah. vehicles were kind of like spaceships of the road. Like they were designed to have these big headlights that look like rocket engines, like to kind of almost look like they were going to like, because it, it was it was like that new styling of like the 60s to try and make it look really fast. And yeah, it's just interesting, like all these small changes in history. Whereas now we're in this world, like I was going to talk to you about this, like the current state of automotive design. It's, it's like kind of, mm. it's almost like trying to create like, visual aggressiveness to kind of stand out in the market yeah. like it seems like that's what i'm getting from it anyway like all these brands are kind of trying to make something that's just so out there um and like so like futuristic that it stands out in the market and it just seems like this is just competition to do this over and over from different as aspects yeah and it's like it's so different to what we had in the past like you had like the 
like what like 1950s 1960s Ferraris which were like all about you know like curvature and like perfect forms whereas now it's like the opposite it's like aggressive mm. you know almost like angry looking cars uh, yeah exactly and especially with this um scandinavian i wouldn't even call it minimalism more reductionism mm. where it's about like just removing everything that's just not that that are not necessary mm. on the vehicles and then you have those like extremely clean surfaces um with some sharp edges as well which makes them look rather brutal as well mm. yeah as you point out yeah but it's fascinating how how things are changing and, and now we also see like a lot of inspiration from the 80s with the very mm. boxy cars as well coming mm. out of this uh, retro future yeah f- futurism um where i think it was the Honda e a few that was mm. pre- presented a few years ago was like an early adapter there yeah yeah it's really interesting how form changes over time like it almost mm. seems like the modern day vehicles are almost like inspiring their designs of science fiction like you see a you see a vehicle from like a movie in the 80s that looks super super futuristic and these days it's kind of like the norm on the road like where i don't know what's the saying it's like um uh reality interpret no reality like interprets science fiction like it's like no rea- reality copies science fiction like that kind of aspect like yeah like science fiction will create something and then like 30 years from now it almost seem like reality just copied it but it's like it's just yeah it's weird it can pre- it feels like science fiction can sometimes just predict reality in a way yeah yeah i'm just that going on the, quite fascinating you yeah. your career in automotive design and what are some challenges you were faced when you started off um so i uh, i graduated in uh during covid so i had my whole final year in in lockdown mm. almost um which made it quite difficult because i was um the year before i had a gap year from university to um um for an internship mm. which is the place I, I work now um so when when i came back to, to uni then i started in, in a completely new class didn't only knew a few people out of 200 students mm. um which i met up with once a week in a in a zoom call <laughs> um so that, that, that was a bit strange and in particular when you're doing design then sharing your experiences with your peers getting different perspectives can be quite important mm. in order to do something uh, relatively meaningful um, but then when i finished university then then i got an uh, internship um, at an Indian uh, motorcycle startup where I was then working remotely, which was one of the benefits from COVID because that mm. made these things uh, possible. And then I was there for half a year. And then after that, I've, yeah, now I've been at my current position for one and a half year. Mm. Um, but one of the bigger challenges has been that, that I have witnessed that there's quite a gap between what the industry is looking for mm. and what the universities are preparing you for. Um, it, it, it feels like they are preparing you for an industry that's not there anymore. Mm. Well, I've heard countless of stories of, of people from the industry that has approaching, and, and it's not particular to any university in, in particular. Mm. But then because they are sort of government-funded um 
then they have a specific curriculum that they need to go through but mm. it's not always that's decided by people who know what it takes to get into the industry and that that naturally just creates a, a gap between yeah um, so it requires a lot of lot of effort in your own time as well to make it into the the car industry mm. yeah i've definitely noticed that it's so competitive I wasn't sure if it was just an Australian thing, but you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before and there's definitely a perceivable gap. Um, there's yeah. a lot of skills that maybe were taught once that aren't really taught these days because there's this perceived like change of the industry, but like a lot of those skills are kind of still needed and maybe should have more emphasis on in, in, um, in university. And yeah, like yeah. I just received my first position in um, graduate position, but like I had to work quite hard to get there as well. Like I feel like a lot of my yeah. skills I had to kind of refine in those months to bring up to scratch and even like luckily the podcast was good because I chatted to a lot of people who you know, knew what was missing um but mm. like you leave university with this kind of like enlightened confidence that you have everything because you have this fancy certificate but like in yeah. design <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit unrealistic and like you kind of have to you know learn pretty quickly that you need to still work on your skills if you want to be able to get a job and be competitive in the industry hmm. yeah exactly and then in definitely in in industries as industrial design or automotive design where there's so many technologies that are, are, are rapidly evolving all the time then you just need to stay on top of your game to keep up with the pace of how things are changing especially yeah. these days yeah. like how technology has changed the past four or five years are incredible mm. I can remember first starting at university, then there was this talk about, oh, there's so many jobs in, in clay modeling. And then everyone from my course started to transition into doing clay modeling. Mm. But now there's hardly any 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 work in in clay. Mm. Um, I don't see it uh, as uh, as an industry that would phase out because it's, it's still physical products for the physical world that we're doing. And then seeing them in, in full-size clay, can uh, definitely help do something that are more valuable and mm. better and also because it's so so quickly to change a few surfaces mm. on the clay uh, instead of having to then redo the 3d and then have another milled out because sometimes then you interpret your design differently on the, from when you see it on the, on the screen mm. in vr or in in real life because when you can actually start to touch the things then there's a lot of things that you, you learn from that. And you probably also have experience with that from mm. doing some uh, prototyping. Yeah, we have, in, we have in, a similar uh, product design. We have a similar thing from um, foam modeling. I suppose you can kind of compare it with, with high density yeah. foam. But I suppose like the one thing about the automotive industry is just crazy is the fact you still do clay modeling. Like it's such an old fashioned thing, but as you're saying, it's so important. And it's really, it's really amazing that the industry has kept it up after all these years, because I feel like it's yeah. such a foundation for the industry as well. Like, the original like model t's being developed in clay like pretty much any car you can think of in history has probably had a clay model and it's just amazing it's like and as you said it's, it's such an art as well the people who do clay modeling mm. yeah they're just and um, especially because you can just quickly scrape off some bits and then quickly change the surface yeah and then assess it then put some of the, uh, the on, and then quickly assess the reflections yeah, that's the thing with um with design these days. I feel like there's a lot of key processes, like even like physical sketching, for example, 
Like there's always like a new version of the foundational skills, but like sometimes you can lose something. Like some people could say, maybe you don't need clay modeling. Now you've got VR, but like you lose, you, you'll definitely lose something. Like it can never be directly transferred. Like that's like me with, I feel like digital sketching is never the same as physical sketching for me personally. You just, you lose. Yeah, the... I totally agree. Yeah. Like nothing beats said, uh, a dirty post-it note sketch mm. that communicates your, your idea. Because mm. that, that that's what the sketching is effectively in, mm. in the end of the day. It's it's a way of communicating what goes on in your mind and, and your ideas. And if whoever you are communicating your idea to understands your idea, then the tool of communication you have been used is has mm. been the right one. And then throughout when you progress through the process, then you're changing the tools for mm. that visual communication. Um and adding details etc hmm. yeah i mean that's the amazing thing about design is it's not it's not a one-step process it's a process and that's like that's amazing like personally exactly. i think it's one of the best components of design because like you know you can incorporate anything into your workflow like you started incorporating ai and like you, you know i could start incorporating clay modeling into my into my product design like you know realistically there's so many different things you can learn and like you can even incorporate like a hobby into your into your practice like let's say you get really good yeah. at painting, you could start painting your models. There's there's always transferable transferable skills, which is awesome. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and and being able to recognize how you can pick and choose those different skills from different design industries are mm. just powerful. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like for example, I I would love to try to to bring in some some design methods from from fashion design, for example, mm. into to designing a car. Mm. Uh, maybe have a sculpture then drape over some fabrics and then maybe harden it with some glue or something and then yeah. whoa there's some cool surfaces there let's mm. try put some wheel on it just, just do something weird and then effectively there will come something great out of it at some mm. point yeah yeah that's the thing about design is it's so multidisciplinary and i think like kind of not pigeonholing yourself into one discipline and kind of looking to all disciplines for inspiration it's just amazing. Like that's why I've actually started getting people from different podcasts on I'm um, different um disciplines. Yeah. Like you're an automotive designer. I've got interior designers, mm -hmm. architects coming on because I think like just having industrial design, like realistically, we're all designers and we all have those transferable skills. And like why not continue that conversation yeah. across disciplinary, you know? Yeah. Um, how have you observed automotive design evolving over the past years? And how do you how do you think it's gonna evolve even further in the coming years? Um, I see VR getting bigger and bigger, and I and, and I could also imagine that there would be a lot of clay modelers that would start to pick up Gravity Sketch mm. because it's sometimes when I've been doing stuff in Gravity Sketch, then it feels like being some kind of a digital clay modeling mm. because of how you are adjusting some of the surfaces when you're zooming in completely and then sweeping through the the uh, the body panels um but there's so, so many changes especially with the, the the technologies and how we we do things um going much quicker into to 3d modeling part of it mm -hmm. and now when visualization becomes a, a more frequently in the early stages as well to try to um storyboard and get the right feeling of of the of the project out um, mm. as a starting point early on. Um, 
yeah, there's, there's so many interesting things going on. And in particular with the with the virtual reality part of it, uh, when it comes to reviewing um, the things. So for example, then we did a, an interior where we then had, had made a, um, a low fidelity, uh, full-size uh, interior box for it. Hmm. So we got in proper seats and then we had got built up this full-scale MDMF interior placeholder hmm. and then we were sitting in gravity sketch and then aligned our view in there with the seat so that we could actually sit and then grab a steering wheel look around then it was what we designed that was around us um kind of reach the uh the screens etc and then having that that mixed reality hmm. Um, experience with it was so powerful because there's mm. so many things that you learn from that oh damn i can't we we, we can't see out through uh, um the windscreen the the screen is in the uh the wrong position uh the steering wheel is too big and uh, all the seats needs to be lower mm. um all those like small little adjustments that you might not see in um in those beautiful little uh, videos that uh, the, the different uh, automotive brand puts out after launching a a, a new product, mm. where they tell, talk about the story, but but yeah, it's it's definitely in in these areas, and eye tracking would probably also become a thing um, mm. in the near future, uh, especially when it comes to motorcycles. Where where does people look and um, in particular now also when when you see that more and more interiors becomes just there's just a screen in there and then no buttons but that takes the focus away from the driver mm. and how can we solve that so that okay we still have a big screen but something to actually touch yeah that's um, one thing one big thing with me i feel like i'm not a fan of screen only what are your thoughts on that like i just think that like the big Tesla yeah. line with massive screen yeah, yeah. That's it. it's too much for me yeah because Think about it like this. When you take your eyes away from the road, then you're literally driving in blindness mm. to either change your song or, or turn up the volume or, or something. Where when you have physical buttons, then then they're usually also different mm. buttons. So you can you, you can just feel okay, it's right over there. Just rough it out, feel you towards the the, the right button because over time you'd also get a Hmm. a sense of what is what um so i definitely prefer a, a, a mix yeah even just from the it's nice to have a screen yeah, yeah. exactly the, the, the tactility you when you when you hold it when you're in a nice car and you press a button it, it has that like a nice feedback from it and you feel like you're really like in control whereas i feel like with touch screens it's just not the same so yeah exactly Oh, it's so cool in the uh, the uh, newest uh, Bentley Continental GT. Then on the, the dashboard, um, then that flips around, so you can have you can choose to have like the old classic dials. Oh yeah. And then by the press of a button, then it flips around, and then you have a digital screen if you want to see uh, navigation and stuff like that. And then the buttons for um, the air vents are like these things that you pull out like on on a on a plane mm. and it's just all th those little touch points are so amazing mm. 
Yeah, I suppose that is the thing about car design, which almost goes past any other discipline, is that like, especially with, I mean, with, with luxury cars, especially because you have such a high price tag, you can really put your money into development of the experience of it. Like really, how yeah. is the experience of the user going to be in that car? Like, how can we improve that? Those small aspects that just really make like driving this car an experience over just like a utility. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you studied in the UK. How did that experience shape your perspective on automotive design? Um, yeah, so it, it, I, I had quite a different experience from studying from when I, when I was studying in Denmark and in the, um, the UK. Um, so because um, everyone on the course in, in the UK was just fa interested by cars, then mm. that was the only thing being, being talked about, which was um, amazing. So every lunch break, then we would just sit in, in the studio, um, do cool sketches, um, etc., which which had a great impact on shaping us as, as designers because we'd learn so much from each other. Mm. But also because... Um, the UK has such a a long lasting uh, history of making cars and designing cars. And in particular being in Coventry, I remember when I was starting, then some, it wasn't um, unfamiliar that that would, uh, and unusually that they would be driving a, a camouflage Land Rover down the, the road, mm. uh, test driving. And sometimes then there would be, Roads closed for for GLR to to test uh, potentially autonomous cars, uh, mm. etc. And it's just on, on a regular basis you'd see these camouflage cars driving by. It's like, whoa, okay, what is this? Um, so it has definitely been a a great thing to to be in an area where there's a lot of automotive things going on mm. in order to being shaped into a an automotive design and, and and also just on in in this student's library there was like a whole section just with some historical cars from Coventry because it's mm. the heart of British car manufacturing mm. even yeah, though awesome. many of the bigger brands has has moved away from Coventry and just in the outskirts now mm. yeah I went over to the UK when I was younger but I think going back as an, like going back in the next few years will be amazing because like back then I wasn't I wasn't into into design at all and I think there's just so much amazing design there like the design museums and yeah. all the history I think I'll appreciate it a lot more now that I um am in that space so yeah I think it's I yeah think absolutely just amazing hmm. yeah and especially when you when you gain a a, a deeper knowledge yourself and in, in in design and aesthetics then you really learn to appreciate all of those things hmm. yeah. Um. <clears throat> um, how do you incorporate cultural influences into your designs you've already spoken about the kind of the influences of aesthetic yeah how do you incorporate that into your designs and how does the how do you incorporate the asian market because now there's a i mean spe specifically here there's a massive trend towards asian car manufacturing how do you kind of account mm. for all different markets when you design so it it, it depends on who um who the, the, the customer is if if mm. If it's for a Chinese brand that we would design into, then we would look into 
okay, where, where are, are, are they located in China? Is there something particular with the, the cultural aspect here? Are there some, some very significant pieces of architecture that could eventually uh, influence um, the, the visual design part of this um, to bring in some culture and into it? But, but also just as much looking into what's trending in those areas um for example what many car manufacturers ha has done when getting into the chinese markets has been looking at at what's considered a premium in china mm. um and that's having a lot of legroom um on the rear seats so a longer so many many of, of the manufacturers has then made longer wheelbases uh elongated their their cars to to make this more premium feeling which which is, is is quite attractive for a lot of chinese people because having all of that leg room indicates wealth which they'd like to communicate mm. okay. to others um big front grills has also been something that they have been perceived as being very premium and um which is which I believe is also one of the reasons why you have seen um, BMW, for example, expanded the the size of the grill mm. to design for for a, a Chinese driven market. Mm. Yeah, it'd be quite hard to balance the needs of all these different nations all over the world <clears> when you, when you know that most brands yeah. are going to be selling cars internationally. It's very hard to like. I mean, I feel like a lot of the cars in Australia um, will get you know, like the Asian cars, like Chinese, Japanese cars here. And they don't necessarily, like when the new models come out, they don't, I feel like they don't necessarily fit in with the cars that are currently on the mm -hmm. road in Australia. Um, But, you know, like, I suppose it's the change in the change in aesthetic as well. But like a lot of the things, a lot of the problem in Australia is we have a limit of um what cars we can even buy because of the shipping. Um, like, yeah. a lot, There's not enough cars imported for the amount of people that are buying cars at the moment. And especially with the chip shortage oh. as well there's a lot of car companies that can't even get um, like we, we can't even get enough stock to it of most of the big brands. So a lot of Australians are resorting to buying like the Chinese brands, like um, what is it, like Havel and stuff like that. I don't know if you have it overseas, um, which are basically like kind of cheaper cars because they're the ones that are getting the chips. So yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see yeah. in the last couple of years, the whole of the road has changed in Australia pretty much. Oh, that's fascinating. I did not know that. Hmm. Even um BYD, do you know BYD? I don't know if you yeah. Know yeah, BYD is also like I see them all the time now, and even like six months ago, you'd never see them here. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've never seen one of them in in real life. Only seen flashy renders. Yeah. Of them online, uh, yeah. incredible interior. So they're doing some really cool stuff there. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, can you discuss some of the design challenges you face when designing? Oh, I kind of already said that. Um, you've mentioned VR. What what other changes do you think it's going to have in the future? Do you think it's going to be a replacement of the traditional CAD software for automotive design, or do you think it's going to take a lot more for it to become um, kind of in that aspect? Um, I think it most of all would, would just be another tool mm. into the process. So, for, for example, um, when I was interning at, uh, at Rapti Energy, this Indian startup, before uh, my first graduate job. Then um, from using Gravity Sketch, then I enabled, um, I, I was somehow bridging the gap between the creative designer and the alias modeler. Mm. 
um, from for me when when I was just designing directly in 3D and and VR and sketching, then it made it possible to for the alias modeler then to do more complex surfaces earlier on in the process hmm. because it was easier to read the 3D data from me than uh, an abstract sketch, for example. But with those things together, then the modelers could could all of a sudden work more efficiently and that was it was so unexpected for me that mm. um it could have that um impact mm. on the workflow so i think we will see more things with there and and also in terms of communicating with the engineers mm. and having the 3d data early on only gives it a uh, better opportunities to design something that really matters and in particular when you're using vr as well as a tool for for creative packaging uh, positioning the batteries or fuel cells and seats um, the layout of the the cars etc um, for example if you're doing a bus or some public transport where you need to fit in a lot of people mm. then it almost becomes a puzzle. Uh, but then when you can quickly move things around in, in VR and test it out, does this feel claustrophobic when I'm standing up in here? Mm-hmm. Then you can really do things um, quickly and iterate very uh, quickly. So I, th- I think we will start to see more of this and then also more um, work where it's uh, with a mixed reality where you're wearing a, a headset and then you would still be able to see what's around you. Maybe you have a, a low fidelity interior box that you're designing um, on already. Um, yeah. It could be, for example, if you're designing uh, steps to get into um, a truck, for example, where there's many... Um, design problems surrounded by and then you can quickly just make some physical steps and then sketch on top of them in gravity sketch find new aesthetics new ways of of, of doing things and, and one of the the real powers of the uh, virtual reality uh, 3d modeling is um then you with mixing the vr and reality then instead of having to do maybe eight physical models to test the steps or grab handles, uh, ergonomics of steering wheel, then you could maybe uh, only have the need to to maybe do two or three of the models. And then because of with, together with the digital assets, then you, you can have a much more efficient process. And then the things that you're testing would be of, of, of higher value. Hmm. Yeah, it definitely speeds up the process. Yeah. I think it depends on the application. Like for consumer electronics and smaller consumer products, I feel like it doesn't make as much sense. Like I've tried before, but definitely yeah. for, for like for furniture, um, I think it really can be good, <clears throat> VR modeling um, and, and for automotive design. I, I need to get more into furniture design with, with VR. It just looks like so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think you're right with when it comes to the consumer electronics. For example, I wouldn't design... A, a mouse in uh, no. in 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 VR, for example, um, I'd maybe do some visualization or mm. small bits of it, but but it, it's more when it comes to bigger things, interior mm. and yeah, makes more sense. Architectural things where where it gets like very powerful. Yeah, Unle- 
but 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 also for for just like the ideation part of it um whereas especially when it comes to things like small electronic consumer products then you'd also like to have it physical much um earlier on in the process for example if you're doing a a, a controller for a, a game console mm. and you'd like to have it in in your hands as as early as possible mm. because there's so much with the ergonomics how does it feel in your hands how does it weight feel mm. yeah definitely i think yeah. for for that kind of application some kind of thing all finger tracking i know you can really get these gloves where it tracks all your fingers would be really helpful yeah because i think like the like i have a quest what what, what vr do you use i use quest 2 yeah, I have a quest two as well. A yeah, quest two, yeah, yeah. Like the, the the like the couple of fingers you can move is fine, but I think like having all the fingers motion would be really good for yeah testing out the ergonomics of small functional things because it's it, you're kind of limited in a way by um you know how much you can understand the grip of things. Yeah. yeah, it could be pretty cool if you then would wear um a glove that could have some haptic feedback. So if you then touch your digital asset within VR, then there would be like some vibration or something yeah. that would make give it the an artificial experience of, of mm. holding that controller or your mouse or yeah or something do you um do you believe in the the metaverse kind of concept or do you think it's going to be a bit more of a pipe dream and not necessarily applicable in society i'm not too sure i, I think it's a bit of a strange uh concept but but it's it's, it's also fascinating um i think i think it's difficult with, with all of that uh, with those uh, nfts etc um to um have only digital artworks that you, you you can't enjoy in your real physical life but then on the other hand then there's a lot of identity that goes into it mm. um in, in many video games and people buy skins to have the character look cooler whatever and and, and that that's basically the, the same the reason why people are, are buying a nike uh, sneaker is because then they're in the club of people wearing nikes it's, it's it's identity so i could easily see that in 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 some years then uh, when you buy a concert ticket then you get that as an NFT and have that in your digital wallet so that you can mm. show people oh, that I've been to this event and mm. well even even all the, of those things even like the festival experience from a VR perspective I know um yeah you know Tomorrowland when over COVID yeah. Tomorrowland did like a VR experience of the festival I didn't end up doing it but I think you can still download it online but it's just such a crazy idea like like the DJs were still were still DJing but from like an avatar I'm pretty sure they were from an avatar. And then, yeah, basically there was yeah. like a VR immersive crowd where they were all enjoying the music from, from their home. It's just, it's just a crazy concept. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really see the metaverse personally becoming that like the end all. I think there's always going to be, especially in design, there's yeah. always going to be like in, especially in our field. Like I think some fields of design, maybe you could get away with completely digital, like UX design and things like that. But I think for, um for, like more physical design jobs, like, you know, industrial design, automotive design. I think you have to have that, that physical interaction with humans. And I think it's very hard to imitate that. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, but it'd be interesting. Especially when it comes to, to like the, the person development part of it, getting a, a high five from your 
colleague or your friends when you do something mm. cool or something of significance um just trigger so many positive internal things as well and mm. i'm not how sure how you'd get the same kind of thing from when you're in in, in virtual reality mm. but there's still like many benefits from it for example then i remember um a few years ago then i was attending uh, a a short gravity sketch course by um oh what was it uh, called car design academy uh, hmm. by eric stoddard and then i was sitting in my flat uh, in Coventry, and then the uh, the instructor was in california and then there was other people from america and just all over the world or people gathering in the same gravity sketch um uh, room Mm. and working on the same models at the same time mm. being so far away and and that was uh, incredible so I, I i could see like the metaverse being um very beneficial in in a corporate um mm. setting so that you can actually set up a meeting um and kind of be there physically together but being completely different places yeah still work on the same model you can have um the models and set the models up um on podiums or something mm-hmm. like that inside of a a, a gravity sketch scene etc so that you can make these great presentations and and very Im- immersive and and people can also attend them from from a computer screen mm. um and I think these like little twists of, of the metaverse could could be quite beneficial for it in in many mm. cases. I don't know how the in when it comes to just like purely entertainment and social interaction how 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 would would develop. Maybe mm. it could have positive Im- impacts on, on on loneliness or mm. or some difficulties like that because then you can just meet up with like minded people in 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 a space where you can just leave whenever the yeah, chat if you like yeah <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know like i think um when you when you compare it to the alternative like we're in the modern world post-covid the world's changed a lot there's this world of you know remote work and you know obviously you're always going to lose something with a remote with, re- with remote work um but if you compare like let's say it, you know collaborating on miro or or zoom chat or, or even just a phone call like you're not going to have anywhere near the same ability to communicate your ideas. And if you're sitting in a VR room, you know, drawing your ideas in 3d space, like when you think of it yeah. from that aspect, like not replacing, you know, day-to-day working in an office with, with your, with your peers, but replacing kind of that need for sometimes having to work remote. I think it's going to be really powerful. Hmm. Yeah. And especially the way we are communicating the initial ideas are changing so much nowadays is because usually then it would be a, a quick sketch on on a on a napkin and then you just pass that over the, the table but now when you're in a, in a video conference instead then then it's then it can be difficult to just put up the sketch here and, and and show that so now i see more and more people start to uh, then quickly take photos of, of google and then photo photo bash them hmm. chop them up and put them together in new ways and then quickly send that over um to communicate yeah the, the design intent or the narrative hmm. yeah it's really exciting like 
I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of research into the history of industrial design, and like, there's obviously been so many pinnacle times in history that have had such an such an impact on the industry. Um, yeah. Like, for example, like just even just like the revolution, like just when a new technology would come out to create a product in a new way, like a new manufacturing method, it would completely revolutionize every product that came out because people would implement mm. this new technology. But I think that the digital era and you know things like AI and VR, even though they seem daunting, I think they could have almost the biggest impact in history on design, because like the the possibilities are basically endless. Like one thing I've really been yeah. thinking about, which I think is interesting, is like imagine if the metaverse actually becomes a thing and a, an industrial designer or an automotive designer doesn't even design physical products; they design like digital assets. So like a new pair of shoes yeah. for the metaverse, or like a new car to drive around in like VR. Like it's pretty crazy to think that that's possible, but it could be. Yeah, and and some of the exciting parts of, about designing a, a a car in in particular for the metaverse mm. is that you 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 might maybe not be as restrained by physics mm. as you would if you are designing to the real world, mm. which can be rather exciting as well. Then then mm. you just do a car that fly around or just change form and. There's so so much many new layers of of um, creativity and and possibilities then to mm. unwrap. Yeah, I do think that like the the new trend in in design is almost like having no limits. Like for for so long, yeah. there's been these structural limits or um yeah physics like physics limits or even uh, manufacturing limits like that li- that limit the the design of what you can create. Whereas now, like like in the back, you've got three D printing. Like perfect example, you can do you can create something so quickly that has such an impact, and you know can be yeah. made in a way that probably could never be made in traditional processes. And um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like maybe the future will just three D print cars, and then you can create whatever design you want. Like who knows? But yeah, it's it's pretty amazing the future. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Is three D printing something that's implemented into the car space, automotive design space? Yeah. Mm. In in particular, in, in the prototyping part of it, um, during showcasts, etc., then there's a, a lot of milling and there would be a lot of 3D printing for specific parts. A steering mm. wheel for a, pro, for a, a show car, for example, would in many cases be 3D printed. Mm. Um, and then it's both with um, FDM uh, uh, and resin and the, the powder machines as well. Because you, you can get so precise with the things hmm. yeah and and, and, be- and also again you need to 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 get the things in in, in physical to to test them if, if they're working right hmm. yeah do you, do you think there'll ever be 3d printing implemented in a functional way in automotive design or do you think that there's too many um you know like limitations currently um so there there's a, an american company called singer um, who does some very very fascinating things? So they're they're using generative AI um, as the main uh, resource of of designing. So they have got like these extremely fascinating uh, chassis shapes that almost looks like some bone structures. Yeah, like organic structures. Um, yeah. yeah. So they're extremely lightweight um, and extremely strong. Um, but you can't mill any of that out. So mm. they have been 3D printed because then you can have those more complex shapes mm. um, 
I'm not quite sure what the material they have been printing these parts in have been, what kind of metal. Um, mm. I think they're usually aluminium. But it's printing, right? These yeah. Days. yeah. But that's, uh, that, that's incredible. Uh, and I think we will start to see more of that, especially when it comes to the more technical parts of it. For example, the swing arm on a motorcycle, then you can, then with these, um, with this generative AI, then you select two points and then you say like, okay, it needs to withstand this amount of force, mm. um, needs to be able to move this much and it can, it should not wait more than this. And then the AI just creates thousands of thousands mm. of iterations based on those restraints that you have given it. Um, and, and it might even calculate someone on, on its own. And then mm. how that shaped is, is rather fascinating as well. Mm. Because you you get those like beautiful organic mm. shapes that are much stronger, much lighter. Mm. That is the interesting thing, I suppose, is like like I, I personally really like organic design. I think it's really interesting to look at. Yeah. Um I can see how some people wouldn't like it because it's so different to what we currently have. But um I personally really like it. But I, what I find really interesting is like these organic structures are like stronger than a traditional, you know, human created structure. But realistically, mm -hmm. it's it's a natural design. Like it's quite similar to what is already common in nature. So it's like nature is is already so well yeah. so well designed. You can kind of just exactly. look to nature for improvements of your own designs. Yeah, yeah. I saw a, a TED talk uh, a little while ago about some uh, generative um, uh, design with AI, um, and this guy was was making a a, a drone, and then he used generative design to make the the best chassis for it because mm. when you're making a product that needs to defy gravity then then weight is important mm. um, and then the whole structure of this ended up being very very similar to uh to these squirrels that are almost flying because mm. their bones are so light and mm. And it was just fascinating that, as, as you said as well, that it just looks like something that you have already seen in nature. Mm. So sometimes I also tend to, to to ask myself when I'm having a difficulty with designing some things, then, then I ask myself, okay, so how would nature solve yeah. this? Because yeah. every little part of nature has spent millions of years in perfecting like one specific skill. Mm. And I think it's, it's so fascinating when you see how nature influences design one of my favorite examples of this is probably the the japanese uh bullet trains mm. um because when they were driving through a tunnel then because of the pressure of of air then there would be a huge bang when it was exiting the tunnel and the other and and then one of the engineers on on this project was also um a bird watcher so he saw um then then he noticed the kingfisher diving after a fish and there was no splash at all so he started mm. to study this 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 bird and then he changed the the shape of the front of the train to have more of of a bee kind of shape so from not changing anything in the engine then then the train got a lot faster more fuel efficient and they had got completely rid of that uh, huge bang after mm. um, exiting the, the tunnel because there wasn't all of that compressed air that needed to get out. Mm. Um, 
And it's just fascinating when 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 nature and science um, shapes things. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Like nature is so perfect already. Like you, yeah. Like sometimes when I walk through nature, I just look and I'm like, wow, that's a good design. Like it almost looks like like I see. I find so much inspiration yeah. from nature because you walk around, and you're like, oh, that looks like the basis of a chair, or like that looks like the basis yeah. of this. And like, yeah, that is the thing. Like we are kind of working to catch up with nature we have been you know since the beginning Absolutely. of time but like will we ever design as well as nature nature can like mm-hmm. probably not you know <laughs> yeah exactly and and being able to to recognize those things mm. are a skill on its own mm. to be able to see something in nature and then transfer it into a a design perspective or take that uh, influence for example a lot of boats have been inspired from mm. uh, the surfaces of um, shark skin mm. because it's it, it it goes so easily through water so they're trying to replicate the particular structure of that to make boats faster mm. to cut easier through the water um, and it's just fascinating to see all those little things mm. Do you think that's going to be something that increases in the future? We like kind of blend in with the structure of nature. Possibly. Yeah. I, I think whenever we have like a huge or, or bigger challenge, mm. something to fix, then, then we will find some kind of a solution somewhere in nature for many of mm. the things. Um, mm. On giant networks, etc. Um uh, in order to uh, plan traffic in cities because how they are functioning under mm. underground is so efficient so that that that's just inspiration everywhere mm. yeah i think that's a good to way to things look in a better life. way there's inspiration everywhere yeah. like, i think as a designer you can get very pigeonholed but if you just think of if you look at the world like inspiration instead of you know just looking to the internet i think you can really find so much mm yeah exactly and it's, it's, it's just look at the right places mm, yeah definitely yeah I, I think this kind of comes back to sustainability in a way like for the last for the past you know indefinite future we've been designing mm. kind of against nature um you know to try and make make things possible that don't necessarily you know live with the the nature of the world and you know instead create destruction in the world and I suppose like the, yeah. the movement into sustainability isn't just necessarily from a perspective of saving the planet. It could even just be designing like the planet, you know, to try and. Yeah. Oh, that's that an interesting perspective. Yeah. To try and design something that isn't just sustainable from like a materials or like a manufacturing perspective, but maybe blends in with nature and doesn't look like an eyesore. Like, cause currently we have these concrete cities yeah. that, you know, stand out in the world and you can see them from space you know and like maybe we could somehow blend in with nature and kind of be more interconnected yeah but but also when you when you look at it from a um a perspective of of well-being then being in 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 a concrete jungle is is not nice it's not natural for us to be in those environments so if you can bring back nature to those Mm. places then then it 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 just improves um the environment so much um for example I, I went to paris last year and they have managed to put in a, a lot of small little parks all over the place and in, in the middle of all the the bigger roads then there are trees so it feels like they're brought in 
back some of the nature to it and it makes the the, the space um breathe mm. in a completely new way um, i think that's really important like, i used to live in london and london's kind of like that like they I, I don't know if they did on purpose but there's a lot of parks and it seems like seemingly everywhere you go there's this little garden or there's this or there's a massive park like hyde parks right in the center of london and like it doesn't necessarily feel as yeah. as much of a concrete jungle in london as some cities i feel like because of that, mm. that connection with parks like you'll be walking through the city to get somewhere and you'll walk through a nice like green park with you know a nice old tree and it kind of makes you not feel like you're not just living in this massive city and i think like a lot of cities yeah, exactly. kind of take from that mm. but to say like nature is a it's a fascinating uh way of, of doing things because there's so many great ways of, of of taking inspiration for example then i've also seen people almost growing furniture where mm. they have with uh, different kind of um, mushrooms and then they have had some kind of a mold where they have been growing into and then you almost have a a finished product it, like it's, it's just mind-boggling because then then you can almost talk about it as that you're harvesting a chair <laughs> <laughs> you grew this chair yeah. somehow yeah exactly and, and and also when when waste products from from other industries are being utilized to um to create new products for example then there's this uh, copenhagen-based uh, uh, company who takes um uh, waste from uh, apple cider production and makes leather from that mm. well wow. yeah from all the, the the apple meats then they extract the fibers from that and then have like very very sustainable leather mm. alternatives mm. yeah the future is looking really amazing like the the possibilities are just endless like even going back to the yeah. mushrooms like the concept of mushrooms like they they I have you heard there's um they're trying they're trialing certain types of mushrooms they can eat plastic to try and clear up like the plastic waste in the world and like even just like oh, things like that amazing. Or, or how or how mushrooms communicate under the ground have you heard about this they can they can communicate yeah all the way through underneath the ground with their like interconnected ecosystem almost and like even just mm. the concept of that like it's kind of like the way internet works really like from a from a more natural perspective but you know, we have these wires under the ground that connect all these different people all around the world mm. to, to communicate. And it's kind of the same principle. Like we've almost accidentally imitated the um the way mushrooms communicate. Mm. Yeah, and, and and if you could then take that the step further and use that connectivity to to develop how um a city is planned, for example, with the traffic to make that run a lot smoother, etc. Because cities nowadays are not designed for for people that are designed for cars to drive around, but it's not mm. in the most effective way. Um, so it could be interesting to see how you could take we could take in inspiration from nature to design cities moving forward for people to live there. Mm. Because now it's, it's many of them is just grits to drive on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cities are an interesting one because I feel like with the move since COVID, there's a lot of companies that are kind of moving away from you know, the need of being right in the center of the city for, you know, for an office or things like that. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people are doing, you know, three-day work weeks, four-day work weeks. And even more than that, like some people are not even, you know, having an office and they're just having those like collaborative spaces. Um, 
you know, so it's going to be interesting to see, like, maybe the need for a city won't even be, you know, because the city, the concept of a city is relatively old fashioned. Like it's, it's a hub. It's where all the people live so we can get resources to them in the most efficient way, um, you know, along rivers, a lot of, and canals a lot of the time. But like the world's changed a lot since then. Like maybe it's not necessarily the best structure for the future. Yeah, I, I bet so. Yeah. Mm. Some interesting uh, thoughts. Mm. Um, do you believe we will move back to a more subtle design of vehicles um, from the past? Or do you think we will continue on this trajectory of, you know, futuristic hard lines? I, well, so design and aesthetics, it's, it's, it's like it's, it's going in circles. Mm. So I, I wouldn't get surprised if, then in maybe 10 years, then there would be a more kind of organic influence to um, to to cars. I wouldn't get surprised from that. Mm. Um, that there would be more softer shapes in, in um, introduced again. Mm. Um, but the real... Um, interesting part of, of the future of, of automotive design is, is the interiors if you mm. ask me because when we because we would also see a transition into more and more autonomous vehicles and then you have a completely new space to um to design what are you going to do if you're not driving the car mm. is it um a space you, you a new space that you have now to relax to calm down after a, a busy day at work or is it a place where you're sitting and preparing for your day at work are you preparing for a meeting or is mm. or are you just spending time with your family on your way to vacation are you mm. having your coffee meeting in there there's, there's just endless of, of possibilities of what that space can can be mm. which i find very interesting and then it's if you combine that with uh, all the new possibilities with uh, exciting materials as well to add into that and and compute completely new feelings mm. user scenarios it's kind of like you go back to the the beginning when they designed um interiors of airplanes when they first started designing them have you seen this the um the interiors some of the ideas people came up with you see these amazing drawings and renders of um these interiors some of them are just the craziest ideas like nothing like what you see a plane yeah. these days but it's because like they they had no idea what a plane was going to be they were still deciding you know what what structure the interior of a plane would take and you know like now it's this rigid form of these people sitting really close together but you know back then they had ideas for lounges and you know beds and you know it, it's like a bar <laughs> but um wow. but the thing Sounds is like mega it, premium yeah but it's like where we are now like we're kind of in the same space but from a, you know from a different yeah. perspective, we're kind of trying to understand where the space of autom of um autonomous vehicles are going to go, and it's it's really mm. interesting, yeah. Mm. yeah um, absolutely, because there's so many possibilities. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be anything. That's the crazy thing. Like, that's the awesome part about design, I suppose, as well. Like, you you're not going to really get mm. stuck in a stagnant job that doesn't change because design's always changing. And if you don't change, you'll be left behind. Yeah. <laughs> and and people just want new cool things mm. as well yeah oh yeah well going going all the way back to the beginning you're you know you started off as a student and you've worked in for a few years for a few years now i suppose in design 
what advice yeah. do you give to someone who's just come out of university or maybe even at the end of their university? Like, what advice do you give to them now with your new experience as a designer? Um, the number one tip that I could probably give to recent graduates or people who are still at university finishing mm -hmm. soon would be to have an online presence on, on LinkedIn, start to develop a network mm. because that is so powerful. People are, are so friendly and and willing to to help anyone on in the, the the different communities um so definitely uh start post things on linkedin and and show how passionate you are about these things mm. and then also not be afraid of try new technologies and do things different ways um and then most of all just have fun with what mm. you're doing because you you can somehow see that through the products as well that if you have had a lot of fun then it usually showcases in the end result as well mm. yeah no, that's great advice <clears throat> all your passions yeah even if they, even if yeah, they seem hard, it, just keep following them and you'll get there yeah, yeah absolutely and then ask for help people the um people usually tend to really want to help others mm. yeah i found that in the design community people are just so lovely like I don't know if it's the same with all industries. I definitely think there's just an attitude in design because people know that it's hard and they've, they've gone through it themselves. They just want to help people and they're happy to kind of take your call whenever, like, you know, I met with, um, you know, the leader of the, the head of one of the consultancies in Brisbane and he just, he was happy to have coffee with me and I had a chat with him and it was great. But like, I feel like a lot of, yeah. a lot of industries, you wouldn't get that, but people are just ready to take your call and they're ready to help out. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. But but you'll also find a lot of people who are very protective uh, with their ideas and don't want to share them anywhere. But you also have to understand that designing a car is is a group effort. Mm. You're never going to do that alone. And and likewise with any other many other design disciplines, then it's it is very collaborative. You're not going to get uh, any consumer product out there alone. Maybe you could influence the design a lot alone, but you'd never design something that are truly unique without either asking for help or mm. helping someone else or sharing what you're you're doing. Because also, if you post something on let's uh, a cool idea on LinkedIn, and other sees that, it's not like Audi or Volkswagen or any other OEMs would take that idea and then oh, I'm, we're going to take this because it's not quite how the the process works but it can be a way of of, of market yourself and and really showcase how passionate you are about mm. doing this because then they might see that and think okay there's some some cool stuff here but he's so passionate so maybe we can shape him even further mm. for, for example my, my internship i got out of uh, straight after university was because of my linkedin presence mm. they contacted me on linkedin and and because they were looking for um someone in automotive with a scandinavian perspective to design mm -hmm. as a fresh pair of eyes on their indian motorcycle mm. and if i hadn't been posting on linkedin or connecting with people then that would not have happened mm. yeah it never hurts to have an internet presence yeah yeah, I got into exactly. LinkedIn quite late, but I think that, you know, it should be pushed more in university. It should be like, get into it. Because I think, definitely. I think not for every field, but definitely for you know business and design, LinkedIn is is crazy powerful. Really gets you out there. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. So, so for example, then um, 
when I post something and then uh, people either comment or like it, then then I would usually go through the list of people who has interacted on, on the post and then send them a message afterwards. And then, hey, thanks for uh, supporting my post. I really appreciate it. Mm. Um, and there's multiple benefits from that. First of all, then they would be more likely to, to do that again. And mm. then if, if there's some great designer that likes my post, then it pops up in their network and then I have access to their network. And mm. it's also an open invitation for me to, to message them when they uh, like a post. And, and it's an easy way of then starting a, a, a conversation. And then the second benefit from that is, is then <clears throat> they would also many times say like, oh yeah, of course, I'm always supporting a, good work uh, you're doing some quality work and this and that and which can can can, can be a great uh, motivator as well mm -hmm. because you get those extra um dopamine um release mm -hmm. of course not do it for try to get the attention but it's, it's just a powerful way of of start conversations with with people who could lead you to something great mm -hmm. down the line I even think it's like a visual network. It really helps because sometimes like, let's say you're really interested in the specific industry, but you you might not remember that you have that contact who used to work there before. If you have LinkedIn, you could look up the company and it will show you anyone in your in your you know, network who's, um you know, previously worked there or, you know, is even connected with them. Like even for the podcast, I've um, got a couple of people on recently just because I've seen that someone I already know is connected with them and I message them and say, hey, would you be able to connect me with this with so-and-so would you be able to make an introduction and you know a lot of time they're really mm -hmm. happy to do it and like i suppose it's just it's just the power of being able to visually understand the network you have mm. yeah absolutely uh, and it's it's so important because you, you you could also argue that it's it's some kind of a career um, insurance mm. Because when you have built that community and you have helped others, then then that help you you have given to others, then that would somehow um, come around to you, one way or another. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for coming on today, and yeah, I've had a great yeah. time. It's been nice. Yeah, to thank meet. you for having me. Yeah, and yeah, I wish you all the well, all, all well of your current and future activities. Yeah, thanks, and you too. Yeah. Anyway, mate, well, have a good day. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye.